and welcome to episode number 94 of the Lines Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by Brett Colson, where we go over all the big news, all the big bets, all the big happenings here in this crazy sports betting industry. A little bit of DFS, a little bit of poker, a little bit of anything that you can gamble on, and that includes the XFL. We will talk about the XFL, what's going on in that league. We'll talk about the NHL as well. Now that football is over, the NFL, that is, version of football is officially over. Maybe you're looking for things to bet on, so there could be a little bit of value out there in the NHL market. Brett will break that down, see if he sees any sort of anything you might want to get involved with. Of course, we'll talk that Houston Astros stuff that's going on out there as well, and maybe we'll give you a couple of thoughts at the end on the WGC down in Mexico. Of course, as always, guys, we are on Apple, we are on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Podcasts, so be sure and go in, subscribe, rate, and review. We really do appreciate each and every one of those from you guys. Um, Helps people find the podcast if you help us climb up the charts there, so I really do appreciate that a ton at the Lines US, at PlayPixUS on Twitter. All right, Brett, so let's get into this here a little bit. Probably won't keep people too long today. A little bit of a lull in the sports calendar whenever you look at the NBA All-Star break and the way things are going right now. That being said, let's go ahead and I didn't mention it, but let's just give a let's go ahead and give a very brief uh, rundown of what we thought of the new format of the NBA All-Star game. I have to admit, I thought I have been hating. I'm talking hating on the NBA All-Star Game for a very, very long time. And I this is something that has really and truly brought me back around. I mean, the Elam ending really did bring one. It brought intensity to the game that they never, ever have. And it actually brought a little bit of drama to the game as well, which is something that has not been there in so incredibly long. And I got to admit, I was a pretty big fan of the way that the game went down. You know, it's funny. I spent the entire weekend unplugged from the world. No phone, no Internet, just me and my wife. We were moving into our new house, which was great. Then I fired up the laptop Monday morning and discovered that I had missed the greatest basketball game ever played on Sunday night in the All-Star game. It didn't cross my mind that they would all be playing for Kobe. Like I, re- I only re- I rewatched the fourth quarter on Monday and I already knew what the result was and I was still on the edge of my seat. It was phenomenal. I loved it. I, I, I can't imagine that it'll be quite like that going forward in this format, but it definitely made it more interesting to watch uh, just playing to a certain score. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually think what it did, what it did and what it does is it creates a sense of urgency, right? Like for the team that's winning, you know exactly how many points you have to score to get there. So if you're trying to get out of there, I mean, like playing like jackasses doesn't really do you any good because you're trying to get to that finite number. And then if you're from behind, if you're playing from behind, knowing exactly how you not only not not only knowing exactly how you can catch up, but exactly how you can win the game as well, I think really and truly uh, brings a whole new element to the game and really did turn up the intensity a ton. The team shot over 55% for the first three quarters and then shot 30, a little over 34% for the fourth quarter. And that lets you know, defense was being played. They were guarding people hard. There was three times as many fouls in the fourth quarter as there was in any single quarter in the first three quarters as well. And so it lets you know, I mean, they were playing hard. They were playing 
you know, to to win that game. And I I got to admit, man, this is this is going to give me a new view, I think, on the NBA All-Star game because I think the guys knowing like, okay, we have to get to that number. Let's get to that number. Or if you're the trailing team, it's like we got to prevent the team from getting to that number. Uh, brought a whole new element to it. And man, I was I was super, super satisfied. And, and it came out of nowhere to me because I did not know we were going to get that kind of effort strictly from a rule change. Yeah, me either. Um, it, the game is never over until it's over. I mean, it's got that street ball aspect to it where you play hard the whole way. You know, there's no fourth quarter where your team's down 20 and you're you're throwing your subs in there. Everybody's playing until the last minute uh, until you reach that score. So it was it was exciting. Uh, I do think a lot of it had to do with the fact that, the, you know, the Kobe Bryant death had just happened. Had just happened. I think there was there was a little more intensity there as well. But um you can tell both teams wanted to win regardless. And I think the format brought, brought out a lot more, like you said, urgency. And uh, it was exciting to watch. <laughs> I'll tell you, the only thing was, is if you were holding an unders ticket, that was a bit of a bummer <laughs> for, uh, for everything, because with the Elam ending, it was guaranteed that you were going to lose. Like it was because of the way that they set the number up, like you knew for sure that you were going to lose. And so there was no drama as to whether the under was going to hit because it was, you were, it was going over no matter what, because you knew exactly what the team had to score. So there, there is at least that gambling element uh, from it that, you know, with the Elam ending, you got to do, you do have to keep in mind a little bit that there might become a scenario where you're a guaranteed winner, but there's also could be a scenario where you're also, a guaranteed loser so that's the only that's kind of the only thing with the Elam ending because I mean technically if you had had the you know the if you don't guys don't know how this works basically with the Elam ending it's whatever the uh, leading team's point total is going into the fourth quarter it's 24 additional points and then the game was over so uh, no no game clock just a shot clock and that's all there was that was running so in theory Brett the it it basically closed everywhere kind of like 306 306 and a half 307 you know in theory if the teams had not scored very many points going into the fourth quarter the elam ending would have made it to where no matter what it was going to stay under it just happened to be where in this you know in this particular case they had scored a lot of points through three quarters and with the elam ending and the way that it ended up that the game was going to go over no matter what with the elam ending why not just have a a three-quarter point total because it's not going to matter right if the fourth quarter is already set Although, no, it, it does matter, though, because it'll be, it'll be 24 for one side. and You don't know how many points the other side right. is going to score, right? right? OK, yeah. So I guess that does make sense. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And uh, I'll tell you what, man, it would not surprise me if there is maybe I mean, maybe some talk about whether this would be good for the NBA, actually, um, in the long haul. So uh, pretty interesting there as well. Maybe not from the get-go from the fourth quarter, but maybe like an overtime or something like that uh, might be good for the NBA. One of the things that it also does, and, and we'll move on here, but the other thing that the Elam ending does, Brett, is it makes it to where these games down the stretch don't become just foul fests because if you send them to the line, every time you give them one of those free points, you are actually helping them get closer to winning the game. And so as opposed to extending the game, which is the thought of the, uh, the foul fest that comes, you know, the final few minutes of every NBA game, as you guys well know, if you've been watching, it actually takes, it is a huge, huge, huge dis, dis, uh, it disincentivizes you to do that because you send those guys to the, to the free throw line and you're just helping them get to that, to that total score, to that target score. And so uh, pretty big, pretty big bonus, I think too, just for the 
you know the the pace of the pace of NBA games, and I think just the uh, the overall excitability. And you know what's going to happen if that that does happen is more scrutiny, more controversy with every single call at the end of games. And we saw it at the end of the all-star game too. I mean, these, these players, everybody was just, they were all livid about every single call because it it matters that much more with one free throw, just ending it. It really did. It really did. It was interesting. And I'm, uh, I'm glad that it was fun. And yeah, it really was one of the better, one of the better basketball games and all-star games and all that, that I've watched in, in quite some time. The XFL is heading into week three here. There was uh, one of the things that I think, you know, you and I did at least talk about here when we said we were trying to figure out and wrap our brains around the XFL in general was just the fact that it looked like those totals that had been posted in the XFL were getting a little high. um, And that that certainly played out again in week two. And I don't necessarily think it's for for poor play necessarily. I mean, yeah, the quarterbacks did miss some throws and whatever, but you know, look, these defenses are forcing some turnovers. These, uh, there, there's certainly some different strategy that goes on in the XFL and all of that. And, you know, it was a very, a very kind of low scoring week yet again. I think only one of the games went over the total and, you know, I think overall yet again, sans one game, which was kind of a blowout. I think we saw some, pretty decent football yet again. I mean, I think we actually have a viable, a, a viable alternative. If you want to continue watching football, you know, into the, into the actual winter months here, um, as we head into the spring, I, I think the XFL is, is, is doing a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, just look at the TV ratings. People are into it. Uh, the week two ratings for ABC 2.2 million average. That's like more than double what the AAF did in their week too. So people are definitely interested. Um, I did not watch this week. Like I said, I had, I had a lot of stuff going on, but I, I looked the odds uh, yesterday and I couldn't believe what the totals were because we talked to Johnny Avello last week and he was like, yeah, we have to bump the totals up to like 40, between 40 and 50 for all these games. And I'm looking this week and they're down to like 40, 43. Yeah. Yeah. So they're still, they're still adjusting on the fly. There's just, you don't know what to expect at this point. Yeah, no, for sure. And what we also saw is I think that we just assumed with the way that the play clock goes and the way that the clock goes and all that, that we would see either very similar or more offensive plays than we see in the NFL. And that hasn't been the case for a lot of these teams. You know, actually, they're using a good bit of the play clock They're They're not necessarily, you know, playing this just crazy balls to the wall type type pace. And so when you look at some of the averages, you know, a lot of these teams are just kind of averaging, you know, 55, 56, 57, kind of like right at 60 plays per game, you know? And so I, you know, there's a chance where I thought we could see upwards of 80 with the way that this, you know, with the way that the, the format is. And that just has not been the case at all. Unders of course have gone six and two over the first couple of weeks of the season. So uh, very interesting with the XFL. If you guys are looking to get involved, the lines are uh, are popping up all over the place, and we already have the lines for week three that are out. The Roughnecks are six-and-a-half-point favorites over the Vipers. The Renegades are five-point favorites over the Dragons. The Battlehawks are ten-point favorites over the Guardians. And then the Defenders are eight-and-a-half-point favorites over the Wildcats. Brett, I think the only advice, I still haven't completely wrapped my brain 
around all things XFL just yet. But I think one of the things that I have kind of embraced is just uh, embracing variants essentially in, in this. Like I think when you look at this and you start to see these massive total, I mean, you know, massive spreads like last week, I blindly bet, the battle Hawks at plus eight, just because (laughs) it was like that spread had gotten all the way up to eight points. And you know, it was a team that had won the week before looked fairly competent. And I think the other team, I think the way that the, the, the people just looked at it was like, Oh, well, you know, yeah, but they weren't one of the favorites going into the season. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the team that was the big favorite coming into the season. And, And, you know, I think if we just embrace the variance here, some of these bigger spreads, man, like I'm, well, I'm tempted to take the dogs in these things strictly because we don't really know what all these teams are about just yet. How many points are going to be scored again is a t- is a touchdown. How many points is the average touchdown going to be worth? Because we know in the NFL, the average touchdown is worth seven points. Most likely they're going to make the extra point. But, you know, as we've seen. Uh, a lot of six point touchdowns, right? A lot of these extra point tries are not getting through and are not getting made. And so I don't know, man, you start seeing these 10 and eight and a half point spreads and stuff. It just really makes me want to lean towards the underdogs. Well, yeah. Explain to me how St. Louis is plus eight and a half one week. And this week they're 10 point favorites. Is, was there an injury to a New York player? Is their quarterback done? What happened there? Yeah. I mean, but that wouldn't even matter. Right. Cause I mean, like none of these quarterbacks have really been lighting it up or anything, you know, out there. That's like the thing to me is, is you look and yeah, I understand the guardians have looked, you know, not great. It, is, it certainly didn't look great this past week at all. But I mean, you know, they're still 11 to one to win the whole thing here. I mean, DC defenders are two to one roughnecks uh, plus two twenty five renegades six and a half to one battle Hawks are 10 to one guardians 11 to one. So you can see right there, battle Hawks 10 to one to win the whole thing. Guardians 11 to one yeah. to win the whole thing. And we're looking at a 10 point <laughs> spread in this thing. What is going on with that? Yeah, it's 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 very, very. Very interesting here. I mean, look, of course, St. Louis does have the one a little bit of, I guess you could call it a quote unquote advantage with the fact that, you know, St. Louis actually doesn't have a football team. So St. Louis, this this is St. Louis's football team. Like those fans, if at least if you looked in and you tuned in, they have bought in. They are into this team, St. Louis Battle Hawks. You know, they were going crazy for it and, and, and all that. And so I guess, you know, we can talk about home field advantage. And certainly home teams have dominated so far for sure. Home teams are averaging nearly a full 10 points per game over away teams in the very, very short season in a tiny, again, a tiny, tiny sample size that we have right now. But yeah, it's a it's it's pretty it's pretty damn interesting and certainly something that we are that we are looking at here. And I think the only thing that we can that we can kind of look at, Brett, is is as I was saying, like with so many six point touchdowns, when you see like a roughnecks and you see like the the six and a half, right? Like you see the hook on the six. Where in the NFL, we wouldn't necessarily think too much of that. When you see the hook and you see the hook even on the eight, right, because of, you know, going for two so often Mm -hmm. and stuff like that in the in the XFL, when you see these hooks on there, those hooks are actually pretty damn important, I think, 
much more important than we would have seen in any sort of NFL type scenario because so many six point touchdowns and even, you know, so many teams going for two incredibly often where eight point touchdowns could become more of the regular, more of the norm as these teams realize that, by the way, in the long term, if you do the math, eight point going for the two is way better than going for the one. So are the key numbers in the XFL now six and eight? What are we looking at here? I mean, I certainly think the hook on a six is pretty damn important. Right. Like, I think the hook on a six is so incredibly important because a lot of times I think you could find scenarios where, you know, teams get down and 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 just start like kind of firing off these two and three point extra points and and missing and missing and missing and then that hook could come into play uh pretty pretty significantly so yeah for me seeing the it, i mean we saw a three pointer this past week we saw a three pointer successfully converted and you know these you know these getting the hooks on some of these i think is really Really, really interesting. So uh, we'll continue to dig into these things, guys, and hopefully get more insights for you as we move further into the XFL. But my, you know, my my early season here is the totals were getting inflated. Now I think they're going to be adjusted a little bit better. So pay attention to that. But if there's any over adjustments, try and be wary of that as well. And as far as, you know, just the the key numbers here, just remember it is the, the Converting the extra points is no gimme, and certainly they were not good at it through the first two weeks of the season. I imagine they will get better and more efficient at it. They'll figure out which plays work better and which personnel works better and things like that as we move forward into the season. But certainly extra points, even the little one-pointers from the two-yard line, were no give were no gimmies at all. So uh, you look at a six-and-a-half, a six-and-a-half six becomes much more, to me, Brett, anyway, becomes much more significant than we ever would have seen in the in the NFL. Yeah, it'll be fun to look at the end of the season back at a bigger sample, a season long sample, even though that's still going to be pretty small as well. But just to see where a lot of these margins margins ended up, the situational you know, play calling and how it impacted lines, that kind of stuff. It'll be I'm sure I, I'm sure the uh, if there are any hardcore XFL betters out there, they'll be looking at that stuff pretty closely. And, you know, before we get off of football here, there are some NFL markets that are out there. If you guys want to take a look at, you know, the different places, of course, we can bet on the draft already. There is actually here in Vegas, Brett, uh, Stations Casinos went ahead and put up six different props. I mean, I know that's not that's not a ton, but hey, we're talking, you know, we're in February, right? We're a full two months before the season starts here. And they went ahead and put out six different props. That includes how many quarterbacks to go in the first round, how many SEC players to go in the first round, how many Pac-12 players to go in the first round and things like that. And typically what we have not seen is these Vegas books outside of Circo, whenever they're putting up, you know, collegiate numbers and whatnot. We haven't, we haven't seen these Vegas books beat the, uh, you know, the DraftKings and FanDuel's and points bets of the world to market with any of these, uh, certainly with, with prop bets by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, interesting to see that they went ahead and put those things up. Of course, at DraftKings, you can just bet who's going to be the first overall pick. That's really the only <laughs> that's really the only draft prop that's going on right now. And as you would imagine, and as things have played out a little bit further here, Brett, it is Joe Burrow, and it is Joe Burrow by a landslide. 
Yeah, I don't think I'll be betting $100 to win $1 on Joe Burrow. <laughs> Joe Burrow to go first overall. Not a whole lot of interest in that market for sure. Hopefully we see some more in the next couple of weeks. The NFL draft is one of my favorite weekends of the year. Uh, I think it's it's going to be great to see more and more markets open up. Uh, like you said, like around, I think we saw last year the, the first wide receiver pick, first running back pick, that kind of stuff. Um, is is exciting. It adds uh, another dimension to the whole weekend. It really does. And uh, over it, and I, I should add that you know we we talk a lot about DraftKings because typically their menu is the biggest of the books that we cover. But uh, over at Points Bet, they do have four up that right now. Of course, they they oh, have sweet. the. They have the number one overall draft pickup, but they also have first running back drafted, first wide receiver drafted, and then they have the uh, Tua draft position over under that is listed over there at points bet. So again, they're starting to trickle out here. They're starting to put these things out. I would imagine, and Brett, you know how the how competitive all these sports book are these days with a Vegas book putting out some props before you know a DraftKings, a FanDuel, a points bet, and all that. I would imagine we might see these guys uh, firing up more and more draft props here within the week. My my assumption is probably by this time, by the time we record this podcast next week, there will be more props up. I hope so. And we will be talking about it. But with the NFL, the other things that you can go ahead and bet on, and this is uh, pretty interesting over at DraftKings, you can bet on Rip, uh, Philip Rivers next team, as well as Tom Brady's next team. And if you want to get involved with that, of course, you know that he moved his family across the country. He packed up all 57 kids and they made the trip across the country to Florida. So what is going to be the favorite for Philip Rivers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? That is even money, Brett, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be Philip Rivers next team, followed closely by the Indianapolis Colts at plus 150. And then the bigger numbers start to come in. Panthers, of course, question mark around Cam Newton plus 900 Raiders question mark around Derek Carr. That is 10 to one Bears question mark around Mitch Trubisky. If they want to move forward with him, that's 12 to one. I don't like the Dolphins here at 12 to one because they already said they're bringing out back Fitzpatrick. We know they're going to draft a quarterback. So I don't know about I don't know what you think, but it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to pay Philip Rivers a, a massive amount of money when you already have Fitzpatrick and you're going to be drafting your quarterback of the future Anyway, why would the Dolphins be such low odds here? I mean, unless they just completely decide to abandon this Fitzpatrick plan that they said that they were going with. But I just can't see that being the case. They're not going to win next year anyway. So why pay Phillip Rivers twenty five million dollars to come in and, and, you know, win five games for you? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I feel like that number is missing a zero. It should be more right. like one hundred and twenty to one. Um yeah, I mean, it certainly looked like Philip Rivers was going to land in Tampa. Now we're seeing the rumors that he could sign with the Colts. If he wants a Super Bowl ring, that's where he should probably go. Uh, I think Chicago maybe is probably the other good bet there if he wants to win a ring. But are you know are the Bears ready to move on from Trubisky? I'm not sure about that. But yeah, I, I think it's down to Tampa and Indy, and uh, you know the market. Is, is pretty on point there. Yeah, we saw the first domino fall in kind of this uh, where will guys start to end up as Drew Brees announced that he's going to come back for one more year with the Saints, which means Teddy Bridgewater is going to be out of town. So Teddy mm-hmm. Bridgewater is going to sign elsewhere, which I think makes this whole thing pretty interesting. I know there was uh, they talked to Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon said that he, you know, he had he had not talked to Philip at all, but he said that he thought that he might land with the Colts. Well, Brett, I mean, my opinion here, if you're the Colts, one, 
This team, we talked about this heading into the season last year, After even after Andrew Luck decided to hang them up. We said, hey, look, there's still a lot of talent around this team. Now, the injury bug got to them early yeah. in the season and, and kind of derailed their hopes of a championship. But, I mean, hell, they were right there in the playoff hunt, even with all those injuries, even with everything that went on there. If I'm the Colts, I might be looking more towards a Teddy Bridgewater, a guy that I know is going to be there two or three years that we can really start to build around, that we can really, uh, you know, if if let's call it 2020 is not the year, that 2021 could certainly be the year. I, if I'm the Colts, I would be I would be much more drawn to a guy like Teddy than I would a guy like Phillip Rivers. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like Rivers looked great last year, but I – You've still got all these great rookies on their or not rookies, all these great young players on the rookie contracts. I think I would prefer to take a shot with Rivers for one year and see what happens. than go with a guy like Bridgewater. I don't know. It's probably pretty close. I can't see one having that much value over a one year sample than the other. But I totally get your point of having you know a guy more long term like Bridgewater in the system. Are either of these guys that much better than Jacoby Brissett, though? Right. I mean, that's probably that's that's another element here as well. Right. Is like, are they really any even that much better? It's pretty interesting when you look at that. So Patriots coming in at 20 to one Titans coming in at 20 to one Titans, I imagine, are going to resign Tannehill. Uh, We'll talk about Tom Brady here in just a second. Broncos coming in at 33 to one right behind the, the the Patriots and the Titans. That seems odd to me as well. I think Drew Locke probably, you know, uh, did enough at the end of last season to secure the starting job there for the Broncos. I can't imagine them bringing Phillip rivers in again as a one year dude. And that's just one more year that you're sitting your potential quarterback moving forward on the sideline. Again, just doesn't make any sense to me. Nope. Not going to (laughs) happen. You're going to go ahead and just say it not happening. No. Uh, outside of that, if there's any super long shot, is there any super long shot out there that you might throw a dart at? I think the only one that sticks out to me is the Steelers at 80 to one with, uh, with having, with not really knowing what they're going to get from Ben Roethlisberger, if they're going to get anything from Ben Roethlisberger, because I, you know, I think that they certainly want Ben Roethlisberger to be back. I think that he uh, the if you asked, you know, ownership and Tomlin and all that, you want the guy that's been there for a decade who knows the system and all the different things like that. However, it's a major surgery. It's a we don't know. I mean, we saw Cam Newton who tried to come back from an injury, didn't work out with him, ended up having to get get got re-injured and all that. I mean, 80 to 1 for the Steelers. PFF had Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges as the third to worst and then the worst rated quarterbacks in the entire NFL. So if you can't get Roethlisberger with that defense, Brett, that kept them in every single game last year, you're going to get, you know, again, injury bug with them with Juju last year, but Juju back at full strength. You got Connor, you got, you're going to draft a, you're probably going to draft a wide out. You got, I mean, is it crazy if you're trying to throw a dart and get a super long shot here? If you're the Steelers, if you're talking about a, a one shot at making a run, I think that would actually be the team. They've got to do something. We talked about it all last year. How does this team not go out and get a quarterback? And they would have been a Super Bowl contender. I truly believe that. I love that defense. I think they need to do something while they still have these defensive pieces in place. 
because I don't think Ben Big Ben has it anymore, man. Like I think we've seen the last of it, and you lose him, and what are you left with? Yeah, that is my that's my long shot here is the eighty to one on the Steelers. Big Ben comes in, tries to tries to do some workouts, and like things just aren't working out. Shoulders not there, elbows not there, and and they go, okay, we're too good to not make the playoffs this year. Let's do something about it. So interesting. Uh, Tom Brady's next team, no shocker. Patriots minus three thirty five. Raiders at six to one chargers at 12 to one. I think those are the only three teams that make sense at all. I'm not even going to sit here and try to run down these other odds because honestly, I think it is a, I think it is basically all the rest of them should be like a hundred to one or more. He's going to resign with the Patriots. I think you and I both agree there, but if he were to leave town, they're going to go to, they're going to go to the West coast where I'm sure they have a gigantic mansion in LA or they're going to come to Vegas with the new two and a half billion dollar stadium where apparently I didn't even know this, but apparently his, uh, I guess Giselle has business interests here in Vegas, which I don't know exactly what they are. Maybe she's part owners in one of these restaurants or clubs or something around here. I, I, I don't know what it is, but, um, outside of those three teams, can you see any, can you see any team at all that would make, that makes any sense whatsoever? Why are the Dolphins here at twelve to one again? I know, I know. We we got we got to talk to Johnny. He would never go to. No, he would retire. He would retire. He would retire if the Patriots said, "All right, let's part ways." The Raiders go, "Nah, we're going to stick with Carr," and the Chargers didn't want to pay him enough money or something. He would just retire. He would not go lose twelve games next year with the Dolphins. It's just so ridiculous that they're at twelve to one. I want to know if DraftKings has taken any action on Tom Brady playing for the Dolphins next year. <laughs> there can't be a single bet on that. Why is this plus 1,200? This should be, yeah, like you said, this should be plus, it should be 100 to 1. Yeah. I think nearly There's, every other team should be 50 to 1 or more. And, yeah. and and you know, with those, can you make a case, and let's be honest, can you make a case outside of any of those three teams, other than the Patriots, Raiders, and Chargers, I can't make a case for, for any of these other teams. Colts, maybe I... God, that's such a long shot, though, and they're here twenty to one. I, I, no, no, I don't think so. Even the Chargers, I can't say happen. I think it's Patriots, maybe, maybe the Raiders. I can't see him going anywhere but New England, though. I just yeah. can't see it. Yeah, same with me. And I, you know, the minus three thirty-five, I think, says that yeah. as well. That said, guys, if you like a dart throw, again, Rivers to the Steelers at eighty to one. You're, I mean, it's not going to happen very often. Obviously, it's eighty to one, but. You're holding an 80 to one ticket on a team that might really, really need a quarterback and has a good team to build around. So uh, I, I, I've hated worse, super, super long shots. There's no doubt about that. As you guys well know, Brett is very good at the hockey and he is a big hockey guy, despite the fact that, boy, we were just beating the drum beating the drum on your Sabres earlier in the season. And man, they have just fallen off of a cliff here, but that's neither here nor there. Let's go ahead and talk about some of these futures as we've moved past the midway point in the season. And the reason we're bringing this up, fellas, if you are not NHL betters, I'm going to let Brett explain what went on last year, because there was a team that was by far the best team in all the NHL and goes in and gets bounced early in the playoffs. And you brought to my attention, Brett, that this is not the first time this has happened. You've seen this happen time and time again. And just the nature of hockey, it is, 
you know, the tiniest of whether a, whether a, a, the puck hits the hits the post and bounces off or hits the post and, and slides in. It's the narrowest of margins and weird things happen in the playoffs. Yeah. And right now might actually be a pretty good time to buy into some of these middle tier teams because the two teams at the top right now of the East, Tampa Bay and Boston are on absolute fire. Tampa has won 11 in a row. Boston has won 10 of 11. Just in the past week, Tampa's Stanley Cup odds have dropped from seven plus 700 to plus 550. Boston from plus 900 to plus 750. If you like either of those teams, you've missed your chance. I think this is probably the worst time to buy them at their highest price point of the season. And like you said, let's remember, going back to last year, Tampa was a huge favorite going into the Stanley Cup playoffs and they got swept in the first round by Columbus. This is hockey. We talk about it. It's a very volatile sport. So I tend to look for a mid-tier team when trying to identify value in the market leading up to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And right now there is one team that I kind of like. It's the Edmonton Oilers. They have two of the best players on the planet on their team. They're plus 2,700 to win the cup. They have depth on the blue line. I could see them making a run this year, and nobody seems to be talking about them. One of the things is they have to make the playoffs first. They're in first place in their division, but it is extremely tight uh, from top to bottom there. So they could not make the playoffs, but given a chance in a four-round tournament, and this goes for just about every team that makes the playoffs – they have a they like they they have an opportunity, and I do like the Oilers at this price at plus twenty seven hundred. I think they're I think right now is a good time to buy some of these teams that have, have fallen off in the past couple of weeks because their prices have dropped. Yeah, you educated me on this last year. You guys that listen to the podcast have known I'm you know not hockey guy. Did not grow up with with, with hockey as as a child, and so it was it's been a learning experience for me along the way. So you educated me on this. And as I looked back just over the course of the last five, six years in hockey. Yeah. I mean, this is not a rare occurrence to see some of these teams kind of come out of nowhere, make a run and make a deep run in the playoffs, if not go all the way. And so this is not like the NBA where you look and you see a 27 to one or a 30 to one or something like that and say, okay, there's zero chance that that team's actually going to win the finals because you know what? More times than not, you are completely right about that. The talent gap between the very top teams in the NBA and those mid-tier teams is still incredibly significant. And there's just a lot less variance on any given night. You pretty much know James Harden's going to go out and score 30 points, get you seven plus assists and six plus rebounds. And that's going to happen more times than not every single night. But you know, Brett kind of really let me in on embracing the variance as well. We were talking about embracing the variance in the XFL, embracing the variance in the NHL as well, because just the a shot nicks a defender and it and it just slightly changes the course. Now that's a goal to where the goaltender was going to block it. And that makes all the difference. And all these little bitty things that can happen that can shift series and sway things. And um it really is where you can find, you know, as as Brett mentioned, you know, a team down at 27 to 1, it's not like a pipe dream like right now if we looked at some of these teams in the NBA. Yeah. It, it- Hockey is the least predictive sport of the major four, especially in a one game sample. But even going into a seven game series, you just don't know what's going to happen. I think the best example of that, like I said last year, Tampa Bay getting swept by Columbus, a one versus eight. You would never, ever see that 
in the NBA unless there was a major injury. So, uh, yeah, embrace the the randomness in hockey and you might end up with a really nice ticket uh, come April and May. If you guys have been following sports betting Twitter, which I'm sure you have, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, there was the Houston Astros and there was some big, some very big news that came out because the sports book started putting up how many Astros players are going to get plunked in 2020. The thinking is here that the Astros with the cheating scandal, the teams are going to be pissed off. And with them being pissed off, you're going to find more guys throwing at these Astros players. First and foremost, before we get into this, Brett, like what is your actual thought on that? Do you, do you believe that there are going to be teams that are headhunting the, the Astros? I mean, I just, I'm, I'm 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 kind of on the fence as whether I whether I believe this or not. No, I, I I think this is the sports books taking advantage of some recency or, or public perception in, in like the recent days. It's, it, it reminds me a little bit of the ben, ben Simmons hitting that three in the preseason, and then books releasing those three point markets for Simmons, where I think it was like him for, for him to make like seventeen three pointers this year, and he's made two so far. But people wanted to bet the over because they wanted to cheer for Ben Simmons. I think people want to bet the overs on these kinds of things because they're fun. I do not see teams headhunting the Astros. And I, I just, yeah, I think this is a pretty good spot to bet the unders on all of these kinds of situations. Well, I kind of look at it like this as well. I mean, it's just it's just different because you hit a guy and you're actually helping, helping. them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're you're actually helping them, you know, and so it's I get it maybe late in games that are blowouts we might see some dudes like get a little froggy right like there 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 might be there might be that and and that is something I'm not going to completely rule out but outside of just if we're just talking about you know every game there's going to be guys getting the you know chin music and all the different things I just find that hard to believe. And I kind of buy into what you're saying more that, look, it's a good narrative. It's fun to talk about. It's a fun thing to, it's, it's a fun thing for them to put a prop out with and all of that. But I mean, I just, I just do not see that being something that a lot of these teams are going to be doing because again, it's just, it's, it's bad for business, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think the books recognize that and they're going to inflate this line because more people are going to want to bet the over because the Astros are the supervillain right now. Nobody wants to cheer for the Astros succeeding. They want to cheer for these guys getting plunked. So that that it's part more. I mean, it's just entertainment. A lot of it is just betting aside because it's fun to to track it all year. Yeah. So for for me, I'm kind of like, eh, you yeah. know, it's fun. Like you said, it's it's fun. But I mean, eh. Right. So the number, uh, what did, what did the number get posted at, at the, at the two books that are, that are, that have this up right now? I think it was 83 and a half. Right. Yeah. 83 and a half. So just for the reason why you might just want to blindly bet the under, there were only two teams last year that got hit by pitches more than 83 and a half times. So only two teams in the entire major league baseball, the reds got hit 89 times and the Mets got hit 95 times outside of that. That's it, Brett. That's it. You, there is not another, not another team that got hit more 
than 83 times over the course of the season. And a lot of the, once you get down to number six on the list, you're talking about all the way down at 76 times to get hit. You get to number 10 on the list and the pirates got hit 63 times. So you get to 10th on the list and it is 20 below what this number is set at. So if you're just playing the law of averages here, and if we believe that I don't think that they're necessarily going to be getting headhunted, this is just like a blind under to me. Well, the other thing is you look at the Reds and the, and the Mets last year, they have guys in that roster who actually not, they don't try to get hit, but they're in the zone and don't mind getting hit. The Astros have sluggers who are trying to get uh, doubles and home runs. Right. Like they're not in there trying to get hit. And that's why I think they're like, like 66 uh, hit by pitches last year. So yeah, this, this, this is a, a pretty easy under for me. I would be shocked if it went over, honestly. Yeah. So pretty, pretty interesting. And I actually should, um, I actually should amend that. That was, uh, that was national league. So there were three teams whenever three you teams, add in, yeah. uh, the Oakland A's were also above 83, but only three teams. So only one additional team that was above 83 on, on the season. So uh, it is pretty interesting. And just the the perception of the Astros in general here, you have some data that we got, which is pretty eye opening. Yeah. As of right now, nobody wants to back the Houston Astros. According to Fandle Sportsbook, only 0.25% of the total handle in the World Series champion outright market is on the Astros. They've only taken 16 bets on the Astros to win the to win the World Series, they are currently at plus six fifty. So, this is a situation where, like I said earlier, the Astros are the super villain, and nobody wants to bet on them. The other part of it is nobody really knows how good this team is because of the cheating allegations and it make how how good are these hitters really? They obviously have some high pedigree guys on this team and. They have to be good to get where they were. But even still, this is a really tough cap for for betters. So it is. Uh, I think the I think the win total is the most interesting to me because, again, nobody nobody likes this team and nobody wants to bet on the quote unquote cheaters here. But as betters, we got to start taking advantage of of when things kind of get out of order. Right. And Mm -hmm. so opens at ninety eight and a half down all the way to 94 and a half. And you look at this and yeah, two major exits. There's no doubt about that, Brett Garrett Cole, maybe the best starter in all of baseball gone. And you have, uh, you have Will Smith as well, who uh, will Harris. I mean, uh, who was probably their most consistent reliever. He's gone as well, but yep. Verlander Grinky, If you get, if you get, McCullers from two years ago McCullers Urquidy showed what he could do in his limited action last year that's your four top four starters right there you still have Ryan Presley to come in in those relief appearances you have Osuna as your closer and then this lineup of Maldonado Gurriel Altuve Bregman Correa Brantley Springer Reddick Alvarez as your DH. And oh, by the way, you have Kyle Tucker if you want to play him, who, by the way, mm-hmm. went 30 30 in the minors last year. So this lineup is still absurd. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. I'm telling you, Brett, this number falls another game or two. 
I, I'm I'm gonna just I'm gonna I'm gonna hammer the over. I mean, it's it's like there's even depth here to where they could survive a little injury. Like we're talking about, you still have Kyle Tucker in the outfield that could come in. You have a Ledmus Diaz in the infield that should you get an injury to an Altuve or a Bregman or a Correa where you needed to do some adjustments uh, for you know a few weeks or something like. There's there's depth as well here of some pretty solid players. I'm just. Uh, I don't know. Four games fall in. You you get me. You get me another game or two. I think this is like an overplay. Whether you hate what they did and you hate them as a team or not, sometimes we just need to win the money. Yeah. Look, I don't want to bet on the Astros succeeding. Nobody does, and that's why we're seeing so much action come in on the under. Ninety-one percent of bets and handle coming in on the under Astros win total so far at Fanduel. But when you're dealing with a market. There is a line, like you said, where you just have to pinch your nose and bet the other side because it's the right play. And if you're trying to make money doing this, you've got it. You've got to bet the over, I think, in this situation. If it gets down to like a 92, 92 and a half, eventually we're going to get to the number with that with the Astros. We might already be there. 94 and a half might be a good number to it, bet the over. I, I, I think it's real, real, real close. I think it is very, very close. And I mean... You look at this lineup, and everyone talks about the Yankees lineup. Brett, Brett I, I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance that this top to bottom, and when you consider just the little bit of depth that's provided as well, I think that I think this Astros lineup is as good as the Yankees lineup, if not better. From a from a uh, from a one to nine hitter standpoint, like the pitching. Different scenario when you've got Cole, Severino, Paxton, Tanaka, all that. I, I get that over on the Yankee side, but we're just talking one to nine, day in, day out from a a lineup perspective. I think the Astros are right there with the Yankees. Yeah, maybe you have to ask yourself though, how many games was this sign stealing worth? They won 107 last year. How, like we don't know. We just there's it's not quantifiable data. Like we don't know how much it gave them an advantage. So it's a really tough cap. The other facet to this is the Astros are now in an us versus the world mindset. Like yeah. they are out to prove that they belong in that winner's circle now more than ever. So that's another reason why I just think, you know, if this gets down to like, if the win total gets down to like 93, I think you just have to pound the over because everybody else is driving the number down. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And like I said, this was the first thing that I saw when this thing just started retreating on the total. Is is I just think it is a chance where you go in and you take advantage. Listen, if you're playing, if you're doing it for rooting interest, then yeah. If you hate them, don't bet them because you don't want like that. But if if you're doing this to make money, there just becomes a time where the line gets too egregious, and you just have to do what you have to do. And I think we're getting really, really close to that time right now with this Astros team and what they bring to the table here. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's probably going to be an overbet for me and might happen when we get off this podcast. Actually, <laughs> might I actually think, happen when we get off this podcast. So I um, think I'm going to wait. I'm, it's definitely going to it's going to be in my account, but I think I'm going to wait until closer to the season because I think this might drop another another win. If it gets down to 93 and a half, I'm 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 in on the over, which sucks because I don't want to root for the Astros this year. But yeah, I think you just have to guys, as always, follow everything on the lines dot com and play 
You'll have all the information you need on the lines, all the picks you need over on play picks, and things are really about to get cranked up here. We said there's a tiny bit of a lull here in content, but that is not going to last very long, and we will have not only written content, but video content. March Madness is coming. Major League Baseball opening day, the Masters, NFL Draft, Kentucky Derby, the PGA Championship, the Indy 500, French Open Tennis. That is all just March, April, May. Uh, just to let you know what is coming up on the sports calendar here and the stuff that we will be having tons of content on along the way. So be sure and do that. For Brett, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week.